Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, podcast where two comedians talk like experts on topics they don't know anything about, except Jordan knows quite a lot about Australian politics and now Rome, and I know <laughs> about a little bit about space and comedy. No, I don't. I don't. I don't know a lot. And what, like kickboxing? No, wait, what do you yep. do again? Boxing. Just boxing. Yeah. Just boxing. Just boxing. Yeah. And, and, and you know a little bit about boxing. Yeah, I'm nearly a black belt. I'm red belt. In boxing? They have black belts? <laughs> no, in Taekwondo. How fast was that? Uh, three years, but... I Surely th- that's quick. Uh, it's It depends on the school. Some schools are really strict. Some are very lenient. This okay, so you just basically went to like a dodge TAFE for... Black belts. Yeah, but the black belts the same. Man, a black belt's a black belt, bro. Yeah. I know, <laughs> no, yeah, P's equal degrees. It's like, yeah. a, it, it's like an Indian driving degree. I mean, a driving license. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You then just, you just convert it to international. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I still got a black belt. I haven't gotten it yet. Uh, hoping to get it this year if I don't get injured. So red's before black. Yes. Good on your Neil. Yes. But I also did it as a kid, right? And I got up to blue belt as a kid, but then I stopped. So then I didn't start from white belt when I started again three years. Three years ago, yeah. Oh, okay. So it actually is a lot longer than three years. I did start uh, two belts in. I started an orange belt. Dude, look, as long as it takes longer than an arts degree, I'm impressed. So it take it did take you probably four. Depends at what point in this year I get it. Could yeah. be closer to three than four. Could be closer yeah. to four than three. Yeah. It depends. Just, just hitch the first one out there. Yeah, look, it's probably not a very strict. You know, in the eighties, I'm sure the schools were a lot stricter, and you know, now with uh, all that uh, self-esteem crap, workplace safety, or what OH&S, and self-esteem, they've just <laughs> all the requirements for you're black a, belt have just you're a continually degraded. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can all be black belts if you just try hard enough. No, not even just try hard enough. Just, just you get the black belt you because just show you're up. you and that's special in itself. You just have to show up. <laughs> quite literally. <laughs> um But BJJ yeah, is really hard to get a uh that takes fifteen years minimum, I've heard. Or something like that. What's BJJ? Uh Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. You gotta give gift like a master's gotta give you the belt. I there's top MMA fighters that aren't even black belts in BJJ. <laughs> Wow, I think I think this one. I don't, I don't know a lot about BJJ, but that I'm pretty sure that's the case. But that just sounds like it's got a lot of red tape yeah, ven- around it. So it's just it, it's it's just the prestige of the fact that it takes 15 years. But it seems like if you're a professional MMA fighter in jujitsu and you're kicking everyone else's ass, surely you deserve a black belt. If you're like a world um, champion, like think about that. It's easier to be a world champion in MMA than it is to get a black belt. That, that, that is just well, pure wank well, at that point. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. But MMA does involve a lot of other, you know, jiu-jitsu is just one martial art. In MMA, you got... Is jiu-jitsu the good of, one, though? Jiu-jitsu is a really popular one. Well, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is a really popular one now. And I'm not exactly sure what the specific... I think Brazilian jiu-jitsu is a little less sort of competition-based and and a bit more about grappling. I know it's designed for smaller people to take down big guys. 
a lot of people are really obsessed about it. So, look, I'm going to not talk too much about it. Uh, you know, I'm sure Joe Rogan's done entire podcasts about it. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure someone who's listening can comment. But it is more uh, grappling and uh, takedowns and uh, there's, there is striking involved. Uh, Taekwondo is mainly kicks. It's really good for kicks. It's, it's, it's also a lot of discipline and, and just the patterns are a big thing. So each belt you have a pattern which is a routine you have to learn. So it's all about perfecting the exact movement. And then boxing is obviously just punching. Um, for a street fight, boxing is going to be great. But BJJ, I've heard, is, is like the best for self-defense. And then the others, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Karate, I think, is just a bit of everything. Yeah. Kung, Kung Fu is like a bit more of an art. It's 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 all very circular movements. I've heard. Mm. Um, I'm not. I you know what? Someone comment all the different uh, popular martial arts and exactly you know give it give us like two three sentences about them. My girlfriend's doing Hapkido. That's all I know about it. That's the end of my knowledge of all martial arts, I think. Yeah. Yes. That and also that uh, Eddie Gordo from Tekken did Capoeira. And Capoeira Capoeira's isn't cool. really... It's cool, looks but cool. I, I sincerely doubt. Like, I'm <laughs> pretty sure like I dancing. can beat up the world champion in Capoeira. It, <laughs> it's good, just breakdancing. Uh, if, you, if anyone wants to... I'm, <laughs> yeah, you got, I'll, you gotta, fight, I'll fight you. You got to stick to that, Jordan. <laughs> Come on, bring so, it on. You have to be a black belt, though. Whoever the world champion in Capoeira is, Jordan, from uh, the I'm Friendly Jordy's you YouTube out. channel, is willing to fight you. You're the Jake Paul of Australia. Yeah, I'll take you. Man, Jake I have Paul no is sick. What at, at fighting? At, no, no, no. Oh, he's he's actually he's not bad. But uh, his callouts of Conor McGregor, holy shit! No. After he beat uh, Nate Robinson, who was a former NBA player, he just is sitting there uh, on his just pimped out car with a cigar, and he's like, Conor, you know what? Fifty million dollars. We've offered it to your team. I'm not sure what you're doing right now. You're probably jacking off because your wife's a four. You can do better than that. He just, he went full. He went Conor McGregor on Conor McGregor, but then Conor, I'm pretty sure, just ignored it. Like Conor just recently lost uh, to Dustin. Anyway, this isn't, I don't know a lot about MMA, so we should move on from that before people get... Well, that's unfortunate because I was very interested in the Jake Paul gossip. But well, I suppose uh, okay, I can look very at that in my own time. Quickly, Jake Paul and Logan Paul. Like, Logan Paul is fighting Floyd Mayweather, which is just what ridiculous. The hell? Because it's a pure money fight. Because those boxing fights, they've realized, uh, sorry, the YouTube fights have realized there's huge box office dollars. And boxing is so corrupt. I mean, that's actually honest money that they're making. I, I miss you. But, like, the, the whole, like, all the judges are always paid off, and there's so much. There's just a lot of corruption. Um, it's very sort of money-oriented. So Logan Paul brings in huge box office numbers. So Floyd Mayweather's willing to fight him because it's an exhibition fight that is going to generate a lot of interest and a lot of, you know, millions of Logan Paul's ardent followers are going to buy the box office to see their man try and beat Take one of the best Mayweather fighters of all time. <laughs> Having said that, there's a huge size difference. And also, how Huge. old is Mayweather at this point? Fifty? No, I think he's like mid forties. So you know, he's still pretty. He looks really fit, and everyone's saying Mayweather's going to win. And I'm pretty sure he. Then again, like, I wouldn't be surprised. Such a big size difference, you know? Who knows? 
I don't think I don't think Logan Paul could win. Well, but I mean, like Logan Paul couldn't could, even beat fucking that British cunt, whatever his name is. Like, yeah. KSI. Yeah, yeah, KSI. Yeah, I know. I I think Logan could land one or two punches, but. I don't think he's going to win. Because I don't know anything about boxing, but when I look at both Logan and Jake, I actually see, it. to me, I've seen sloppier fights with professional boxers than them. So they must be, actually, I do know this. I know that they get like former fucking heavyweight champions to train them and stuff. They do train very hard. Yeah. And Jake is, he knows what he's doing, but... Look, I can only go from the... I follow a few boxing pages on Instagram and all the comments are like, he's getting better, but they all hate him. because, And obviously, because they've trained their whole life and he's just sort of circumvented whatever process they've had to endure. You know, small-time amateur fights, then slowly working their way up the pro circuit. He's just been able to jump all of that and and have $50 million <laughs> fights. So they all hate him. Uh, they really hate him. That makes me like him. Yeah, in a weird way. <laughs> That's kind of funny. That's At the hilarious. end of the day, you're punching people in the head, all right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, he, um, yeah, he's very hated by the boxing community. I, from what I can gather in the comments of the, those <laughs> Instagram posts. But look, I really don't want to talk about because this is one thing where, yeah, people are going to get pissed off with my lack of knowledge. Um. How are you, Jordan? How how are things with you? Yeah, I can't complain. That's I really good. can't complain. Back in... Uh, 2021's going well. First month's been good. Things are shaping up. There you go. For me personally, I'm really scared about the future of this country. But as always, that's good business for me, so whatever. You sound very liberal of you. Yeah, I know. (laughs) There's a lot of bad things happening, but how can I make more money? It is my business, isn't it? It really is. It's just like, I I remember the day when it was just like, we're having a lockdown in Australia because of COVID. And I just thought, yes. Do what you got to do to make a profit, you know? Yeah, I know. It's a tough world out there and someone has to report it. You got to (laughs) compete. In the marketplace. what, What happened with you in the first month? It's been good. I've made a few uh, videos that I'm pretty happy with and pretty proud of. Um, They've actually been a bit political, uh, but, you know, my version of politics is just talking about the cultural stuff, as as you know. So I did one that was uh, breaking up with the left, even though I know we hate those terms, left, right, etc. But, yeah, the the premise was just... uh, I was sitting down with someone and just saying like, oh, you just don't, I'm not attracted to you anymore. You're not exciting. You used to be exciting. You used to explore cool topics and say funny jokes. And now you're just on Twitter all day. <laughs> and then I did one. I did like a. That's not bad. I, don't like, I like that premise. One's coming out soon. By this time, this podcast comes out, it would have come out. It's, um, uh, so it's, it's a satire. It's set in a couple's, in couple's therapy. And it's like American conservatism and Amer- and right-wing populism and they're fighting with each other. So, like, the populist is like this kind of like, well, I told you what I was going to say. It's not our fault. It's the it's the Mexicans' fault. And the conservatives are like, no, we need to take personal responsibility. Like, they're just, they're just arguing over. Not bad. Yeah, so I'm actually kind of like putting out my, uh, my uh, 
rudimentary knowledge you've actually, of political science you don't, out there. Y- yes, you have, because you've actually uh, tapped into something, which is that, that that fight is coming to a loggerhead. It is. That's what is uh, going to be a big fight in the next couple of years. Some That'll people, do you think that, I don't want to go into too deep a rabbit hole here, but do you think that that really ideologically to fit with the bulk of the the people in Western countries, there should really just be three parties. There should be just a social Democrat style party. Uh, then there should be a centrist corporatist party. And then there should be a, like a right wing populist party. Because that's the three sort of main strains that people, again, not n- nearly the expert you are, but that seems to be the three main strains that people uh, uh, adhere to. Yeah, but you know why? Because all of them are just offering some popular elements and some unpopular elements. But you can combine all three of those, as did the Five Star Party in Italy, and they won an election. Okay. And it was the comedian that did it. And basically, it was just like... I want action on climate change and I also want to keep out those damn immigrants. And like the vast majority of Italy was just like mad. They were just on board. (laughs) So they just got all the popular elements that like get people to vote for the Republicans with all the popular elements that get people to vote for the Democrats and combined (laughs) just all the popular bits. It was like a true populist party. It was truly basically just like looked at the polls and was just like, yep, that, 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 boom, president, uh, prime minister. That's really all it takes, hey. What would it, yeah, it would just be immigration restrictionist, uh, socialized healthcare, uh, less political correctness. Which is why he's a comedian. Uh, But is is action on climate change the popular position? It is, isn't it? The polls do say 70% or so really, yeah. Okay, action on climate change. And then... You'd want renewable investment. You would want good uh, investment into schools. Yes. Yeah. Good health. Yeah, I said that. Healthcare. And you know what you want as well? I think this is something that... But then you also want lower income taxes. Yeah, but... Less uh, intrusive wars... People don't want that. People don't want wars. But the other thing that they don't want, I think, is like as soon as people hear that someone is getting a handout, they get fucking angry. Oh, as you would. <laughs> so I think that that's the whole thing is just like. No bludgers. If, if you can prove. I swear that that actually works. If you can prove that you're being like really fucking harsh on handouts, I reckon the average person would like that. Yeah, I. you know what it is? I think it's what I've theorized about in previous podcasts, which is working class families and people and middle class families and people hate people who have grown up in similar circumstances to them that are on welfare because they think... Well, I fucking work hard every day. Why the fuck do you get a fucking handout, cunt? Mm. And that makes a lot of sense. I understand that. But then what you've sort of opened my eyes to is that most of the handouts are actually going to corporations and and really privileged people who would just get, you know, grants and uh, are just doing shady deals with the government. And instead we focus on the... 
you know, the lowest tier of society that yeah, are getting handouts. And yeah, there would be a lot of bludgers there and they probably shouldn't be getting handouts. Just how do you sort of restrict that whilst then also, you know, is there a way to restrict the handouts to people who are who don't really need them and would actually bode well with the incentive to work? Well, I think that the biggest that's the whole thing. Like, if you're if you're trying to appeal to the public, you would get people to. Uh, yeah, you, you would be harsh on, like, the dole and stuff like that, I'm imagining. I haven't looked at the polls. I'm just assuming this. Um, but I think that the reality of the situation is you do actually want the poorer people and, like, mm-hmm. e- even if somebody is bludging, you, you want them to have some form of universal basic income, like, for the yes, economy. For the, and for society, because otherwise they're, they're, much they're less still injecting than, money. Like, even yeah, if they're a lazy and, shit that doesn't do anything, the fact yes. that they're just a consumer and spending things keeps other people in work. And, you know, you, then you'll increase homelessness and crime. Yeah, exactly. So there is something that... Look, at yeah, anyway, it's a tough... Uh, it's one of society's hardest questions, and I don't envy the people that have to answer it. <laughs> but um, I want to talk about what do you do when things don't go to plan? It's a broad question. Because you know what? Ever since you've told me I'm a builder and I still got to read that book, Why Him, Why Her? Um, builder is the sort of person that has it's serotonin, right? Is their yeah. main chemical going through yeah, their brain. Yeah. So very conscientious, organized, need to understand things, need order in the world, very uh, sort of a jack of all trades, uh, is sort of competent in many skills, but doesn't necessarily focus on one. Uh, man, nothing really like puts me in a state of flux and frustration and stress more than not having when a plan. things don't go to plan. Yeah, or not yeah. having a plan. And, yeah, yeah. And, and if I plan for adverse circumstances or for, you know, adventitious events, I think that's the right word, uh, I'm then not that shocked when they occur. So even something like coronavirus, there was quite a lot of stress in, immediately when the lockdown happened, but I was resourceful enough to still make the best out of it and not actually get too stressed when when things are completely out of my control like that but more so in my personal life and professional life if things don't go to plan in my career when I thought they would go a certain way or in my personal life even in my dating life if if just something just so out of the blue and doesn't go to plan that's when I get the most triggered in life I really think so yeah and I wonder if there are any uh, – now, this is my little therapy session, I suppose, but I wonder if there are any strategies that I can – I think I've gotten a little bit better at it as I've gotten older because I've just been exposed to so many things that haven't gone to plan that eventually you know what else I try well? to become a bit mindful about Improvisation. It. Yeah. I think improvisation would just kind of give you like kind of a neural pathway to just kind of accept what, the unexpected. Even acting improvisation. Yeah, oh, because okay. just well, just that. that because it's kind of just like, look, if you were really giving into your roots, you would be getting a job in like corporate or something like that, where it's like super structured mm. and there is like very defined goals and yes, very uh, 
that there's there's like expectations there. Mm. The fact that you're doing it and you are doing it in a very builder sort of way by doing it every single week at a certain time. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's just, it's, you are. <laughs> and I loved that so much. You know, I used to really dislike the fact that a huge bulk of my income and live performances were based around the window of festivals, which is when I would be in performer mode. Whereas now that I do this weekly show and I don't have to catch a plane all the time, it feels so much more comfortable for me. Even though it's a much smaller audience, I can mentally prepare that every Thursday night, that's when I perform. That's when I lead up to writing the material that I'm going to try that night. That's when a X amount of income is going to come in and I plan to sell it every week so that it's the same amount each week. Like, I am a very, I need everything organized and regimented and, and structured, but I wonder if that's to my own, you know, that's a hindrance that can become a hindrance. I don't think it does. I really don't think if you were going to create a chemical that uh, is most likely to achieve success in life, it would be serotonin because the thing that I know both about, it's you pretty it's, much are, and the only thing that takes you guys out of Zen is when the list doesn't get checked off. That's it. But like, th- when that, I don't th- understand something, that's another thing. Yeah, yeah. But like, it's all about that. It's just all about uncertainty. And if if you're constantly like aiming for a locus of control, you're always expanding what is uh, the level of certainty in your life. Like, it's just like, dude, I'm telling you, my girlfriend has exactly the same brain. She really does. And as I've said before, she went from no training in acting to three years later being in movies. Kind of just like on the the the, the very, like that, that foot in the door moment of acting where you just know that like in a couple of years time, she'll be in indie films. Like, it'll just keep moving yeah. up from there. Why? Because she's serotonin. And it's the same with you. Why were you able to get success so quickly? But because you, you, you recognize the pattern and then you followed the pattern. That's what people with yeah. serotonin do. I am really thankful for that. Is there a way to better deal with uncertainty though? Because it's just something that I've noticed. You know what? I actually find the holiday period more stressful than a work of course. period. Because yeah. I realized that I said that on the first podcast was I was I gave myself this break and I didn't like it. I felt bored. I was... Lazy, sluggish. Yeah, and I just felt encumbered by all this freedom, which sounds weird, but I need things to do and I need to believe in those things and I need to uh, feel like I'm working towards a goal or have a purpose. Mm. And I think that's also part of my... uh, personality type I'm, i can't remember what it was exactly if it was infj or intj but it was the diplomat and i need an underlying philosophy to everything i do mm. I can't just do something because it feels good i need to know what is the reason i'm doing this and why am i doing it mm. and if i believe in that cause i will i will be incredibly passionate at whatever it is that i'm doing mm. But I just wonder if there's something I can do that can better equip me when things don't go to plan or when things are taken out of my control. Or You know, I know we talked about this last podcast where we always just complain about the comedy industry, but that was so frustrating when there were these gatekeepers and no matter what you did, you had to abide by their laws of what good comedy is. And it, and it went so – it was so – 
diametrically against what I believed was good and authentic comedy for me. And I couldn't handle that because I couldn't then change my philosophy and live through a philosophy that I didn't agree with. And it also felt completely out of my control. Whereas what I always say I love about the internet is that it's totally in my hands. Mm. There's no director. There's no um, comedy producer or TV producer that's handpicking me out of a crowd of people who most of them are probably shit anyway. So... The thing is, though, I... the thing is, that might be true, but I think that your personality type meant that if that was your only option, say that you were growing up in the 90s, I do think that you would have been a comedian regardless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would have eventually had to alter my style to, which sounds like I lack integrity there. No, there's nothing like... No, I hope I didn't not, not like selling out. Well... I mean, look, there's all varying degrees of what selling out is. But the thing is, like, you're still restricted by your environment and Mm -hmm. it's just whether or not you can navigate it, right? Like, if the fact that you are doing content that you're doing right now, yes, you do technically have the freedom to do whatever you want. But the reality of your situation is you don't. I mean, you do do have, like, you still have to abide by what the crowd wants to a degree. And there's a zeitgeist that you have to contribute to. You can't just completely come in with any strange concepts yeah you want to talk about things that are relatively popular at the time yes but contribute it contribute to it in a way that is unique so that's yeah that's the contract that you have now it's just that it's a more democratized contract but like didn't think think of that yeah you was still you're still following a pattern Hmm. and you're still good at recognizing that pattern and I, I, I fully understand like that exactly what you're talking about, the gatekeeper bullshit. But if you had your mind set out to get into that, you have the personality that is able to just identify what the obstacles are and mm-hmm. overcome those obstacles. So I wouldn't be I wouldn't be like ang like uh Yeah, know, not that. not up, up, upset with the fact that you have that personality. No. You know? Like, it's a good personality to have. That's true. That stress can be an indication that I'm working, eventually going to work towards a way to overcome whatever obstacle is hindering me. However, at the time, it can be very... Stressful. Yes. (laughs) Frustrating. (laughs) But as I said, in personal life or something, you know, you've figured out a... You've tried to sort of analyze the most emotionally intelligent way to conduct yourself, say, in a social situation or in a uh, dating context. But if that doesn't work, or if it if it if if just something occurs that is so out of the blue, now if I if if you make a mistake, say in a friend in a friendship or in a relationship, and there's a really discernible, clear reason why someone may be upset at you, for example, or why someone may uh, uh, be initiating conflict with you, I'm actually more comfortable with that because I'm like, all right, I understand how that has occurred. I can un- I can now try to unpack Undo how it. we can mediate this. Yeah. But when it's just things that I don't like, make no sense. That again, why you know how in previous podcasts I just decry terms that are so nebulous and subjective that they make no sense. There's nothing more triggering to me when it's something like, you know, my truth. Well, what the fuck is that? like? It it actually mm. just f- frustrates me mm. to the mm. to the utmost extent because I need mm. to have. 
I need to understand what it is. And I can't understand your fucking truth because it's your truth. Mm. <laughs> you know? Mm, mm. So, and it really, like, I've, I've noticed that's such a huge trigger point for me when it's just these more emotional ideas that I can't grasp and can't have a sort of logical understanding of what that means or or the philosophy behind it. And 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 it just makes me want to... In fact, that's probably the mo- the the biggest ammunition I have for my comedy when it's things that just frustrate me because it's not that I don't understand them per se. It's just that I've understood them and concluded that they make no congruent sense. And so that's why I want to, you know, make fun of mm. that those sorts of things. Mm. But if you think about it, it's all a good who thing. are the people that are using the phrase my truth the most? Oprah's audience. And who is Oprah's audience? Women. And it's because their brain is a <laughs> circulation of estrogen. And estrogen would fully, that's the whole thing. They are very happy with ambiguity. And estrogen brain, mm. it's it's not that. Right, it's more like It's the- not that they're like, because like, dude, I don't like the way that my brain works. As yeah. in like, I'm comfortable with it working like that because I'm just used to it. But I also just, it's. Uh, the, the only way that I can describe it is it's just like this like constant roaring engine in my mind. It's just constantly churning over heavy ideas all the time. And so uh, like it, it's, it's draining. But the same thing that I hear happens with people that with, with estrogen, right? Like that they live in that nebulous world that you're talking about, that they kind of just like, you have to understand my truth. But that is their reality. Their reality yeah, is I've very nebulous. Come to realize that. And I just can't. There's a certain well, you, ceiling. You definitely to which shouldn't I can be interact. dating one. You shouldn't be dating one. Yeah, I think I realized. I don't that. think you could <laughs> for very long. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think everyone has sort of uh, an extent of all of these qualities, I suppose. But there's a predominant. Sound, it sounds like I got to read this book. It's so fa- it sounds so fascinating. But there may be like a predominant uh, chemical force that circulates through each person's. Well, they just may have a certain archetype that they abide by. Um, I was going to say something else I've forgotten now. When it, 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 you know, people who, I think there are people who listen to what is being said and there are people who listen to how they feel when they hear something. Don't you think? And Mm. they're two different things Mm. because some people can say things in a very, uh, non-charismatic and obtuse, boring, dull way. But you listen to the concepts and you listen to the ideas that are being said and you try to understand what the definitions and what the... Uh, you, 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 you categorize what is being said, you break it down and you and you sort of box it in a way that you can understand it. Whereas I think there must be some people who listen to something and then it makes them feel uncomfortable or it makes them feel a bit uneasy. And that's how they judge it. They don't actually look at what is being said. I mean, there's so many examples. Like even just in the pop culture instances of, say, you know, famous sports stars or comedians flirting with female journalists and they're doing the exact same. They're, they're literally doing the exact same. The concept and my understanding of the concept is the same. Here is a man that is flirting with a woman, whereas if someone is more charismatic and good looking because they then feel a bit differently, they receive that flirtation differently, it's judged differently. And things like that are what kind of triggers me, you know? 
because it's you I see it as this is the concept of what is occurring this is the uh the objective I um, I don't break it down based on how I feel from what I'm processing I I at least consciously think that I'm breaking it down based on what it is that is occurring if that makes sense mm. so say like your political commentary for example someone could say it in a very different way that could make you know i i i get the idea that a lot of people might receive what you hear and and it's a call to action it's it's it instills well anger at what is occurring in the in the government whereas some people could uh you know, articulate the same ideas in a way that instills the emotion of um, maybe fear or maybe uh, sadness at what is happening to maybe the, the victims rather than going after the perpetrators. And then they may, like, receive those same ideas differently, if that makes sense. Mm, mm, Do you understand mm. what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and then that almost scares me the concept that the idea that some people can hear the exact same thing but present it in a different way and then completely either change their mind or think differently about something it frustrates me but also just scares me and i'm not saying it as like a auto you know i there's, i don't think it's gender specific i think a lot of people just process things based on how they feel about them and not how they not what is actually being said well yeah it's it's, it's a much much is scientifically proven much better motivator it's just the emotion yeah. of something and i'm know? sure i'm not like, completely okay, immune to it either no no you will dude you're definitely not because you, you are a human like the classic example would be that there would be distinguished ballet dancers that to a technical mind, somebody who really understands dance, they would look at and think they are brilliant. But they're not fucking Michael Jackson, are they? Like they're performing to, I don't know, maybe if they're like really, really good, like a few hundred old people or something like that. Whereas Michael sure. Jackson's just like, he went to like Sao Paulo, there'd be 50,000 people. He'd go to Amsterdam, there'd be 50,000 people, you know? Mm. And it's, it's like, I bet you that a ballet dancer would look at Michael Jackson and be like, yeah, yeah he's, he's good, but mm. he's not like, you know, Barishnikov or whatever, right? Like, but the difference is that it just doesn't elicit emotion. Whereas Michael Jackson did. I mean, but that is art, and art is supposed to, uh, uh, you know, create an emotional response in the audience. I'm talking even about in the realm of, uh, or even political discourse. Well, that is an art. Discourse. Well, I, 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 that I suppose is an it, art. I suppose it is, yes. Because really, like, oratory is an art, That's, isn't it? You're right. But you're dealing with concepts that aren't art. You're dealing with, say, economics or And no one's listening race, to them, are they? Or... No one's listening to an economist. And who are the economists that they do listen to? You're the right. ones that are a little more charismatic. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, again, I'm, I don't know if I'm... I doubt I'm completely immune to this. I like maybe like to think I'm this objective, you know, rational-minded person. I'm probably not. Uh, but when you just see it and it's so clear that 
people are responding to something not based on what is said, but how it's being said. And it's so obvious. It's just, yeah, it just, uh, it's, it's, it genuinely scares me. And it should. It really should. It is a really scary concept and it leads to Well, like, look, let's just give the example of Trump, for instance, right? There is no way that that man was anywhere close to the most qualified person to be president of the United States. Had no experience in government at all. None. Uh, Might have just, like, mouthed off about the government every now and then or whatever, but, like, really just didn't even understand basic things about, like, procedure of government Mm. or what it was or anything like that. Straight to the top. Number one position. Yeah. Just unbelievably charismatic so it's just like a it's it, it is something that is a if you are able to harness it you can get what you want out of life out of it and as you're saying like that's not necessarily a good thing but dude i don't see why that like uh that that goes to you just like not de- no actually i do see how that like uh goes to you not dealing with ambiguity like i think i don't like holidays because it puts me in a State of inconsistency. Unless yeah. I've planned out if I'm like, all right, this time of year I always when I always have my holiday and this is when I plan to shut off my working mind. <laughs> like I have to plan it. You have to plan <laughs> I'm a robot. having no like, plans. Like yeah, I know, I know. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, that is always, you know, that is exactly how I always describe my girlfriend. She yeah. gets so pissed off every time I say it. But dude, she is. She's just AI. She, Maybe she's she an is Asian. just it's a an, robot. It's an Indian and Asian thing. It was, we probably were forced to do way more maths than anyone else oh yeah so we probably do have more of that brain but you you guys also have the personality to do it because she is doing a lot better in life than her sisters are you know it's just like a, a serotonin brain is a recipe for success in life and the only thing that I can add to it is just the point about George Washington that the thing that would used to give him the shits, like if there was like a surprise attack or something like that, that wouldn't anger him so much as people just not following the minutes that he gave at the beginning of the day. There's nothing I, ca- I can't, I just can't handle it when someone says they're going to do something and they don't do it. You know what? The, you I know- I, there's nothing in life that upsets me more. Yeah, yeah, it does. It, it really pisses off serotonin people. You know, the thing that I think is that but this is just from my experience of just having like a testosterone run brain, but to me, there is never a moment where you can't not be doing something. So I would imagine that with a serotonin brain, you would just put that into plans that you just have a plan B when there is like a moment of ambiguity in life, there would be something that you can revert to. Well, that's what it's... I think slowly being embedded into my psyche, which is that I tell myself when I feel those feelings coming up, I sort of try to be as mindful as I can and then and then just practice a bit of my own little CBT. Thinking huh? about the thoughts a little bit and, and saying, okay, these are just the product of, these are thoughts that I don't necessarily need to react to. Yes. So being that definitely meditative. Helps. But, I, dude, I really think that that would be, like, a really good, quick way to get out of it. It's just, like, plan for when things don't go according to plan. 
Yeah, but in a more broader, yeah. Like in a broader a text, specific, you know? Specific. Like say, instances. say, uh, yeah. you know, like a date, a date like craps out or whatever. Just have a plan B for it, which is another Tinder squeeze. Or brazzers. <laughs> There's brazzers. There's always that. that. But, you know, like as an example. You know, even like family relationships and things, it's just when when I can't understand if there is a conflict that is occurring, which I plan for conflict. You know, it's an expected thing of any relationship. But if I... If the conflict makes no sense to me, yeah, that's when I just I can't handle it. It's you, you know what it was a really good shortcut to that. Yeah, it's just the all you need to logically comprehend is that the other person's upset, and mm-hmm. everything just flows from there. That's all you need to logically comprehend. You don't need so to do understand ha- like the why. You don't need to. Do you have rules in place, say, if someone in your personal life is upset, how to deal with that in a in a general sense as opposed to because I'd probably deal with it because I'd need to know, okay, why are you upset? All right, let's work on that. Mm. But I guess I've never really thought of it. This person is just upset and I need to sort of mediate that from the perspective of just their emotional state as opposed to... Yes to the event that caused the upset. Yes. Yeah, okay. So you that that uh-huh. that is something that like yeah, I think that a lot of especially this is just things that I just learned from relationship books, but it's just usual the dichotomy is that uh men are usually the ones that want the reason behind the argument or whatever and women yeah. are basically just saying like there doesn't have to be a reason I feel this way is what they're saying. And so yeah, yeah just just understanding that basic concept there. I think it solves a lot of the problem right there. So what do you do if you're in a situation where someone is upset? What do you do? You know what the, the, the real quick way out is? And Gavin McInnes was talking about this, especially with women. Just say I'm sorry straight off the bat. You just apologize. <laughs> what if you it just, it just diffuses so much. What if you... I'm not even talking about just... I'm not. I'm really not like that. I'm not talking about just. Uh, I've just noticed a pattern in any personal relationship I have. Um, but I really can't say sorry if I feel like I haven't done something wrong. But this is the thing. This is the whole thing. You're saying sorry because you're looking for a reason, and then you're like going through your head and being like, "Does that rationally make sense? Yeah, it rationally makes sense. I did screw up on that. Yeah, okay, I'll say sorry." But you're not saying sorry for that. You're saying sorry because the other person feels upset. But that's so and that's it. dumb. But that will r- literally will ruin the world. That's what's wrong with the world right now. <laughs> that's what's wrong with the world right now. People are apologizing because someone's upset and they haven't done anything wrong. I'm very, I'm clearly very passionate about this. But oh, dude, when that, it comes to when it comes to like social that. media and to shit me, like that's that. like a betrayal of my very integrity. Yeah. Now I did. I actually did a podcast with Eliza where I'm like the difference between sorry versus I apologize. So I'm more open to saying sorry as an acknowledgement of someone else's hurt, but an I apologize means I acknowledge that I've done something wrong. But I don't think a lot of people know or can sort of understand that Sips distinction. That. Yeah, but if that ever happened in my, if if you know, if I ever do a joke that's gets media attention or something and 
people are like, we demand an apology. We're upset. I may say sorry because it's, okay, I acknowledge I caused some hurt, but I don't know. I don't apologize. <laughs> I'd be very precise in that because I'm thinking about it rationally, right? Um, I don't know, man. I can't. I don't know if I can just say sorry if, look, if look, I look, don't look, feel look. like I've done something wrong. Dude, th- what you're saying there is just like it is a brain that is a recipe for success. So I don't necessarily think that you really need to, you know. I'm just saying like if you wanted to avert the conflict – that's the way through. That's that's how you talk to someone who's like deals in life with emotion. And I think that the thing is that like uh, it's it's kind of just like a more wholesome. Because y- you know what I noticed the other day, uh, I I have such an aversion to feelings <laughs> that I don't even have them. <laughs> what a thing to say. You know, get- like, well, you clearly like, get like, angry. It, it, but again, and then your video is getting pretty angry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but a like, feeling. It's it's a performance at that point because it's like a script. Like you know, like this is the point where you're supposed to get angry. It's like I guess yeah, I was okay, angry at the point, okay. but again, you're kind of like rationally convincing yourself to the point. It's not like I'm I'm saying that I don't. This is the wrong way to say it as well. It's not that I don't have feelings. It's that I just don't register them. Because I'm such a heady person. I'm just always thinking in my head. So I would just never do like a body check or, or any understanding of the body, right? But I think that the thing that like to feel or to like a, keep in frame. get an appreciation of people that have feelings that are more intuitive. <laughs> this like is the bloody difference. people with feelings. Well, do, I, I agree with you, man. Like I'm always just like, fuck off, you know? Like... <laughs> Like, because you're just like, you can't rationalize why, exactly. You can't rationalize it, fuck off. But that's because we have that mind. Like, if you're upset because X happened and I can be like, all right, I can understand how you're upset then. Then I will, but Paul, I will, and it's, okay, I caused that and I didn't, I wasn't, I was lacking empathy or whatever. Then I'll, I'll, I will apologize. Yes. No one will apologize faster than me if I really do feel like I've done something wrong. But no one, I will never just say, apologize for something. I just can't do it. It, mm. go, it just. Mm. I think the thing to makes me feel think of icky. it as just like a way to if if you were going to bridge that gap between your brain and theirs, the way that you would look at it, I suppose, is that like there, there is there is inherent wisdom in feelings, and this is why no, women are just like a lot that. more intuitive than men. Like, dude, I swear, a really good example of this is I remember once when I was learning to drive with my mum. Hmm. and we were going down a hill and she said, you can go down this hill, but I'm going to drive back up it because I have a bad feeling. Uh, And I was, as usual, just being like, oh, fuck off, mum. And she was just like, no, get out of the car. I'm doing it. So we go down. Everything's fine. We drive around there and then like for like an hour or whatever. And then we go back up the hill. And while we go back up the hill, two tires pop. And it's like one of those windy mountain ones where, like, if you are an inexperienced driver, you drive off the cliff, you know? Mm. She had that instinct. Um, like, Okay, but is that those feelings, wouldn't they be based on a rational understanding that, one, this is a dangerous road and maybe the car is old? Those would then... 
logically contribute to the feeling of unease. Yes, but don't you think that the logical person would look at it and just be like, this is a windy road, I'm just going to drive down the whole thing because there's a higher chance of there just being risk, right? But she had the intuition of like, you can go down, but you can't go back up. Mm. And in a way, that was more precise. And when I'm saying intuition, like people are always saying that this is some kind of psychic thing or whatever, and maybe it is, but I think more likely it's just kind of like all of your life experiences kind of just getting absorbed by your body. Yeah. Because, like, the body does have not memory cells in it, but something similar to that where it stores, like, things that happen to it. But that is a rational understanding of those feelings, which I can... Which is what I'm saying. I can... I then get that. Exactly. But that's what I'm saying. Like, to rationally uh, respect or understand people that are emotional... Uh-huh. It's just like you have to rationalize their emotions is pretty much what I'm saying. Like, it's the same thing with like... But, okay, you can rationalize someone's emotions without necessarily giving into what they're asking or in some cases demanding. Yeah. I feel hurt by X event or by this society, therefore this needs to happen. Yeah, but well, that's I can your... rationalize the feelings that you may be having, but no, it doesn't mean I just give you that. Yeah, that's that, but that's entirely up to you. But if you want to, if you want to avoid the conflict, or if you want to diffuse the situation, uh-huh. I think it's just like you have to rationally understand that the way to diffuse it and to kind of just maneuver them in a place where they actually will listen to reason and stuff like that. You just have to give off that initiation. So I do the like I just kind of see it as like that is the way to do it. You're just assuaging the person so they will listen to reason. Yeah, right. I think that's a way that like would work in that situation for you. I wish I could switch on between like, all right, I'm going to be a feelings person and I'm going to be a like a. Wouldn't that be great? That would be so good, man. Well, that's that's what I've like uh, really come into tune with, especially when it comes to performing. But I don't think that I'll ever be able to do that. But I do think that somebody who is. Because you know what I noticed the other day when I just went up on stage? There's all these little techniques that you learn in books and stuff of, I don't know, just like the, the most stock standard one of like picture them in their underwear. But yeah. who is picture them in their underwear aimed at? It's aimed at visual people, visual learners. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, that that advice might be interesting to them or might like serve them. And then like, you know, you hear hippies and shit like that and they're just like, just got to vibe out the crowd. And they're kinesthetic people and they do do that. They will go up on stage and they'll just be like, this this, uh, this crowd's energy is at this. Like you've done that before when you go up on stage, right? And the crowd's energy is low and you're like, hey, guys. And they're just like. Yeah. And nothing happens. Yeah, right? there is a feeling the vibe situation. There is a vibe to, to it. Yeah. And like when you walk up on stage and that's a flat audience and then you come out and you're kind of just like, hey, how you going? Like mm. everyone relaxes more. And it might not be that high energy, you know, Chris Rock level laugh, but everyone's going to enjoy it. You do have to meet the vibe. I've realized that with a lot of, especially comedy, where similar concepts within a a joke are articulated. In fact, sometimes an almost identical joke, when you look at it side to side, is said by a different comedian, presented in a different way, 
And the response is vastly different. Mm. It's just because people are receiving it differently through their gut mm. rather than their head. Mm. Because comedy ultimately isn't... People who do go to comedy or watch a special, some people are, are really analyzing and thinking about the concepts that are being articulated, but most people are like, oh, does this make me laugh? How do I feel? Even it's not... I don't even think that's a gender-specific thing. I do that. Everyone does that with comedy. Yeah, it's about um, the atmosphere that's being... But the thing is, like, how do you help build that atmosphere, right? Yeah, and how do the... And I think that the people that are, like, uh, you know, in tune with the vibe, they would naturally be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd have a true. huge advantage at it. That's very true. And then the more famous you get, the more you're known for a certain vibe. So people who have a similar vibe to you are more attracted to you and you then have an exponential growth because you're just then performing to better audiences that are closer to your emotional state and understand your ideas. But if you're able to integrate more, because this is something that I notice about Dave Chappelle. I don't think that many of his jokes are particularly clever. I don't either. It's it's all a vibe. It's all a vibe. It's all a vibe. And... I think that the thing is, like, if you actually look at it and the things that you're really laughing at, he's ticked all three boxes, dude. Like, his voice is funny. He does really funny, like, facial expressions and act outs. He's a funny guy. And also, like, he's just very comfortable on stage. He's a funny guy. But he's ticked all three of those things. So, like, he is in touch. He's in touch with his emotions. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's also, like clearly got like a, a mastery of performance behind himself and like the, the 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 control of tonality and stuff would suggest that he's like thought about that kind of shit as well yeah absolutely so he's got all three of those things in the bag so it's the same thing i think it's just like what you're saying is like it would be better if you were more in touch with your emotions which is it, it's a weird thing to me because even if i'm having like a conflict with someone and they, they are one of those people who's like how are you feeling and stuff i can't actually articulate that that's something that oh. i find very difficult to articulate well, I can articulate feelings, but I, there are always, you know, I'm always then un- trying to understand them. I never just sort of act upon the whims of, I try, I probably do. It's probably ridiculous to say I never act upon my feelings, but I need to understand them first. I need to at least try to understand them. All right. There's a sense of stress that's popping up. Why is that occurring? What can I do to fix that? It's never, I'm stressed, therefore I'm going to go and do this thing, you know? Hmm. Again, I'm, pro- I'm sure I probably do. I'd like to think that I don't. Uh, but taking it away from just comedy, that's a, such a scary concept. I feel like we've touched on this on previous podcasts, but the fact that, say, an entire ideology or a philosophy, if it's just articulated in a different way or by a different person, can appeal to an entirely different demographic. Hmm. No, that's that's uh, that freaks me out, and that is what scares what scares me a lot about the propaganda model is exactly what you've just touched on. Then it's and just like it's the same message, but there's an Ellen DeGeneres version of it, and it's the same message, but there's an MSNBC version of it, and there's a CNN version of it. And really, what is it? It's just a different vibe. That's it. <laughs> but it's the same underlying message. 
and there's a Stephen Colbert yep. version of it, you know? Yep, you're not wrong. So, like, yeah, it's definitely true, but I think that the thing is, it's like, that is reality. Yeah, that, I know. That yeah, is yeah. reality. And the thing is, I, I, it actually, I can't remember which rapper it was, but one of them was just talking about how they started studying Buddhism for that reason. Because there's so many rappers that just have this ego and idea of themselves just being like, man, I just rap about the hood, man. Because I had hood life. That's what I grew up in. So that's what I rap about. But he was just saying like, yeah, I grew up in the hood. But there's also like all these life experiences that I have no idea about. And if I was just able to, you know, study Buddhism and then understand more people's life experiences, I would make more universal music and thus more successful music. But again, that's a very, yeah, see, I can get on board with that because it's a very rational uh, reason to but that's what be I'm in saying, touch like, with your emotions. Exactly. It's yeah. rational to yeah. be emotional is, I guess, the crux of it. It's rational to be emotional. That's a, that, I've never heard that put it so simply before. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can't say it's emotional to be rational. Unless being rational is an emotional response for you to better understand the world. I, I could maybe fall in that category. Maybe when things are very stressful, I turn into that very robotic, rationally-minded person. But I'm actually just reacting to emotions. Who knows? Well, no, that's also definitely true. As in everything that you do is for an emotional reason and then you justify it rationally. Mm. And so, yeah, they're, they're both in and out. But the... the the more time that you spend in rationality, the more time you can plan and the more time you can move in. But the, yes, uh, I would imagine the real reason that you are so, you know, like a, a proponent of thinking things through is again, because you like the feeling of certainty and stability, which is what people that are high in serotonin crave. They crave a, a, this feeling their whole life. They want that. They just want a nice, mm-hmm. which dude, and it explains, you walk into your house and it's that. Yeah. It's that feeling. Yeah. Like everything around you emanates that feeling. Yeah. So it's like, uh, yeah, it, it just means that you are, you're still pursuing an emotion, but your emotion is very even keeled. And the reason, yeah, you're looking for calmness. And the reason you're looking for calmness is because in a calm mind, you're able to think better. So it kind of like plays in on itself. But. Mm. It definitely does come from the urge of people that are um, high in serotonin to have a feeling of, like, safety and control. They like that in their life. Yeah, and it's actually a personality type that, would you say, is probably more attracted to conservative ideas? Yeah, absolutely. They definitely are. Like, all of them, they... Yeah, we want order, we want structure to society, we want things to not be in a giant state of flux. And dude, everyone that I know that's high in dopamine, which would be the opposite of you guys, what what are like the philosophies that they, they always gravitate to? It's always anarchy. It's always like <laughs> some hippie shit with like fucking yin and yang and stuff involved. Yeah. You know? And I'm totally on board with classically hippie ideas if... They make sense. If they make sense, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. See? 
See, I'm drawn to something, just the general premise of those conservative ideas of order and structure. But then when people say, when you couple that with the uh, religious subjectivity, you know, the personal truth of I feel the love of Jesus in my heart. Well, what does that mean? Tell mm. me what that means. Tell me. Mm. And the only person that's been able to articulate that to me in a rational way is it, uh, coming back to is Jordan Peterson. He talks about, he brings in those Jungian ideas and says there's this collective consciousness and the stories and myths across the world have various characters and tropes in common and they're almost in a state of Darwinism where they're all competing and then we get the semblance of some sort of divine religious truth which teaches us how to act and that is what Jesus is. And I'm like, all right, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. And if you tell me you feel Jesus in your heart, you're feeling closer to that ideal than you otherwise would. And you are actually probably overcome with an emotional sense of safety because you've associated that with so many positive things in your life, community, family, sense of self. And then when someone says, I feel the love of Jesus in my heart, they're feeling that ideal religious truth that has evolved over the centuries and they're feeling as close to it as they possibly can. So I think I've been able to sort of make sense of that statement because when I hear <laughs> statements like that, I was like, what What does that mean? <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not trying to be like a cunty atheist or something. I'm just like, I just want to know what that means, man. Like, I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, man. I sound like a cunt. I'm not. I just That's just how I think. Yeah, no. I, I just, that's fine. Yeah. Dude, that's 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 exactly how I would imagine you would think about that as well. Like, it's, it's no real secret. Mm. And you're right, man. Like if you look into your comedy, which is just it's just an extension of thought. It is just that. Yeah, yeah. I'm in the I'm an artist, but I'm very like you're you're constantly fighting even in my art ambiguity. You are. Heaps of your comedy is about fighting ambiguity. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, when ideas are hypocritical. When there's an incongruency to something being said. Mm. That's what I need to I feel I need to almost Yeah, that's what, that's what you're always yeah, that's what you're always ridiculing. That's the target. The yeah. overall target is ambiguity. Yeah. 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 Well, I know. I so yeah, like, up. look, I would in 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 conclusion, I wouldn't care too much about getting uh, you know, frazzled when things don't go according to plan, because in general, it's just a successful trait to have. Mm-hmm. But also, I think that's really really easy for someone like you to overcome. Which is just plans within plans. That's it. Plan for the unplanned. Plan for the unplanned, and like really, I think that just means coming Plan up for B. anybody who has like a a, a uh, personality type like Neil. You just come up with a list of ten things that you could be doing because most of the things that don't go according to plan, if you look at them, th- there'll be a pattern to it. The things that are unexpected, mm. there's usually a pattern to it. Mm. Oh well, thank you. Dr. Shanks. Pleasure as always. Appreciate that. <laughs> uh, so we have time for 
look, the question that we are going to answer is quite a long one. Uh, so we could leave that to next next podcast. How are you feeling? You feeling a question? No, I can do it if you want. All right. So this one is from Fintan, and his question is as follows. Give me one second. Let me bring it up. Hey guys, after your financial advice podcast, I looked into the YouTube financial world and found that it was riddled with Koch brothers talking points, referencing books like Why Government is the Problem and the Austrian Libertarians, Ludwig von Mises and Frederick Hayek. In Dark Money, Jane Mayer talks about the brothers setting up university subjects at prestigious universities for the sole purpose of indoctrination of the youth. Their plan seems to have two phases to it. First, the setting up of the intended worldview, followed by the pulling of specific moral strings based on the fiber of the worldview. I was wondering if the banks had their own set of beachheads, uh, open bracket, university subjects for indoctrination, close bracket, initially creating the social... Uh, sorry. Yeah, initially creating the social justice movement, or did they capitalize on the multi-generational influence of Michel Foucault and Jacques Derrida and bolster them in the modern culture of the humanities for the purpose of manipulating the public on their newly formed moral foundations? That's from Fintan. That is probably the most complex question we've had. So we could, if you would like, I'd, I'd be okay to leave it for next podcast, but yeah, if you want to, it's man. more in your area. Well, I, I, I can give you a really short answer to it, which is that the, the whole university scheme is uh, just a, a field of indoctrination. It's really obvious. Like it, it, when, when, you, when you study politics, you have to go into study economics. And the reason that you go into study economics is to just be like, look at the shit that they're teaching. And you just do not get that same ground when you go into politics. But is, um, mm? is libertarianism or... You know the the idea of small government is that is that just a Koch brothers talking point? Isn't there still a complex line of thought about free market capitalism and not those the sorts brand of that you're used to? Yes, there is. Yeah, but these are all academics and philosophers that are kind of just forgotten by the wayside. But the Koch brothers have been able to uh, magnify and put huge megaphones to a specific brand of libertarianism. What's that brand compared to the traditional, uh, more intellectual brand of libertarianism or free market capitalism? You could say, like, you know, Adam Smith would have been, like, the beginning of libertarianism. It wasn't anything like it, and the way that they bastardize him to use him as an example of the free market or whatever is he was saying pretty much the exact opposite of what they were saying, but the, that kind of movement away of, like, the freedom of individual or something like that in economics would have started with him or, you know, like, around that period. Yeah. And what uh, the Koch brothers have done really their version of libertarianism isn't so much libertarianism as it is just like a regression of government back to what it was in like the 1800s where it just didn't really have any power except for to protect the rich like there was basically it had control of a police force a post office and a military that's really what they're talking about when they talk about libertarianism and they'll put it in all this flowery language and they'll have all these intellectuals doing all these backflips around it. But really, if you really hunker down into the worldview of what the Koch brothers want, the Koch brothers want 
a government that protects them and them only. How does that differentiate from the non-Coke brothers uh, free market ideology? See, this is the whole thing. Like, even the phrases like free market, like, it's just been so heavily adopted and interpreted through the lens of what the Koch brothers have done. Because it's just, the political machine that they have made yeah. is unlike anything else that the world has ever seen. It's unbelievably sophisticated and okay. well-resourced. But, like, if you're talking about, like, yeah, the original concept of the free market or whatever, Adam Smith was actually saying there is a free market that exists. And if you just, like, don't let government interfere at all, resources will go as if by hand into certain places. But really what he was saying is, and that's why you need to curtail it, like, curtail it. You need to put restrictions in it. Otherwise, it all just flows into one area and stuff. But... That in itself is one version of libertarianism because he's uh, still arguing for like a form of economic freedom. But like with, with all of these things, like if, if you had like a truly libertarian society, like they exist, it's called Somalia in the 90s, like when it didn't have a fucking government, like they these mm. societies that aren't governed do exist, but they like that power vacuum. This is the whole thing, right? Like people are always thinking about it through terms of just like their personal freedom or whatever. But like really what you should be looking at when it comes to politics is through the lens of power. That's what politics really is. It's like the distribution of power. And if they like say, say in Somalia, for instance, where there wasn't like an acting government, what happened? warlords took the position and that's a truly libertarian society i guess it was just like in this free market of economics and power it just went to like a few african fucking dudes with like two of those like machine gun bullet chains on each side and they were the new governors of regions <laughs> but right. that that happened that was that was what happened when you don't have a government in control well let me think what would be the libertarian retort to that, would a libertarian still say that the government exists to protect the rights of the individual, it, but it doesn't exist to interfere in the market? When they say something like that, so in protecting the rights of the individual, they'd still need. Well, this is the whole thing. Like, if you're not inter if you are not interfering in the market, you start very quickly infringing on the rights. Like, Koch brothers are a prime example of that. Um, them curtailing all of these laws and getting. Sorry, I keep saying curtailing. If, if you keep curtailing all of these laws and avoiding all of these laws and having laws changed to suit your business model, uh -huh. so they're building up pipelines uh, and, like, not having those pipelines checked by safety inspectors and things, things like oil spills happen and, um, you know, the, the, the very mining of it is done in such a way that all these toxic fumes are emitted and they're not, like, doing anything to stop that. And so they've wrecked countless towns and societies and people's health and their livelihoods and like, you know, destroyed the area around there. So the other people that I like had their economic freedom imposed on people that were doing, um, you know, like nature hikes or something mm. like that, or they were just, uh, you know, farmers or something like that. If you have like a giant mine next to you, that fucks your land up. So like, if you don't, do they interfere have, with the market, you start interfering with people's personal rights. Do they have grounds for legal action then without... 
Well, I mean, but did you really think that like you know a, a tiny fucking farmer in Maine can go against the Koch brothers who have you know unlimited money? It's just not going to happen, right? That's the whole thing, right? Like after a while, money starts to become it. It kind of just determines who has freedom and who doesn't, and that's the other thing that they're mm. kind of talking about, right? Like when you're talking about freedom they've restricted the definition of freedom to financial freedom but there's all different types of freedoms there's like the freedom of speech there's you know the freedom to assemble but to you know increase their capacity to accumulate the freedom of wealth they have restricted the freedom to assemble and they have restricted freedom of speech Mm. you know like so that they can accumulate more wealth various freedoms do ultimately come into conflict eventually yeah hmm. okay what did he what else did he say here so brother's talking referencing books like why government's a problem the austrian are all the books of today that maybe lean right are they all just would you say they're all Koch brothers talking points i mean you can go back and look at the cotopus and you can look at a lot of the prominent speakers that you would listen to today Mm -hmm. they all came through that field they all came through one of the universities they all worked for one of these networks they all worked in one of the media agencies as funded by the Koch brothers yeah like it's it's a big big indoctrination program but it might be the most ambitious in human history is that say i know you said something where chomsky was interviewed in being interviewed by a bbc reporter and then the BBC reporter was saying, no, I am independent. Is it that these speakers have been indoctrinated or is it that they just happen to have the same ideology as, say, the Koch brothers so that they've just been chosen? You know, are they, are they, do they have their own volition with what they're saying or is it that they're just saying those things for the money? You know what? I used to always think that it was just a thing of indoctrination, but I have heard stories behind the scenes of, and I, don't know exactly who they are. I could find out. But there is like some of those like commentators that you see on YouTube and stuff and they are just doing it for the money. They don't actually think that shit. But uh, no, there is also people that, you know, they, they have those thoughts and that, that's the whole. But this is the whole thing of like all university. Like if you just expand it yeah. out of the Koch brothers network, like it's, it's that, like that with everything, like politics, economics, all of it is kind of just like this uh, selection process where they're just being like, are they obedient enough to accept these ideas and Mm. if they aren't obedient enough they kind of just get siphoned out of the education system is it obedience or is it that they just genuinely have those same ideas therefore that given system will give them advantages because they espouse the same ideas as the people who have the power i think that like, when it comes to academic ideas, it's not like you're born thinking, like, I'm a libertarian. Like, it takes a while for you to get to that stage, yeah, right? But you're, so, the, but you're not born thinking any political Exactly, right? right? So, like, in some way, it's been instilled into you. The indoctrination of your parents, the indoctrination of your school, the indoctrination of your community. But by that, then every political ideology would be an indoctrination because you're getting it from yeah. something. Well, this is the thing that, like, my version of your thing where you're just saying that, like, charisma can 
make someone think something. Yeah. My version of that that, like, keeps me up at night is just the thought that, like, everyone on planet Earth is brainwashed. You and me included, everyone. Everyone is just completely brainwashed. That scares the fuck out of me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we we all are. There's been a long lead up to the ideas that exist today across millennia and whether or not we maybe have the capacity to alter them in just the slightest degree or add a new mutation to it, if you will, in taking on, you know, a sort of mimetic Darwinistic view. But ultimately I agree that, yeah, everyone's uh, brainwashed. Mm. Um, all right. Dark money, Jamie. It talks about the setting up a university subject procedure for the sole purpose of indoctrination of the youth. Setting up university subjects at prestigious universities for the sole purpose of indoctrination of the youth. Setting up the intended worldview, followed by pulling. Wait, so it... is this? Because then he says the. Look, this is definitely out of my. Uh... No, I know, I know what he's saying after that, and then he's so just he's... talking about SJWs yeah, becoming so an have, indoctrination process. Have those subjects that what all the. You know, anti woke people on YouTube are always talking about the the gender study subjects and things like that. Have they? Is those are those the sort of subjects he's talking about? He's talking about those, but I think that I don't think that the banks would have a specific interest in uh, indoctrinating banks. When it comes to any of them, they're just looking at social trends that they can market to, right? Like there is something very ideologically driven in the Koch brothers machine when it comes to the ideas of. SJWs coming from Foucault and shit like that. Um, I think that that is just a, th- a product of what useless academic subjects do. Like useless academic... If you are a scientist, it's very easy to justify why you should be funded. It doesn't mean that they always get funded. Like under the liberals, they cut them all the time. But like you can go to someone and say, these are the results that I produce. Yeah. But like heaps of arts degrees, they are fucking useless. Like they're kind of just information for the sake of information. And so the way that they keep themselves funded really is by confusing everybody that is out of their circle with a lot of like very specific jargon. Um, And like this, this level of snobbery kind of pursues. And as a result of that, that, yeah. And like that, that clickiness to get involved into it, you kind of have to go into that, uh, yeah. That 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 like uh, you know, invented, invented vocabulary and way of thought to move into it, right? And so I think just after generations of doing that, it's just come to a point where, you know, SJW culture started to spring out of universities. But I, I swear that that was more that, like an organic, that, right? That that was not like a result of something very thought out. Now again, so I don't really know because I have a really plot by the Koch brothers. Like yeah, the, the Koch brothers one is definitely nefarious. Or- yeah, yeah, like that. That is that. That is you can document it. Like the great books on this are Democracy in Chains and Dark Money. Like you, you can see where okay. the money is going. You, we have the documents to prove this kind of stuff. I just think that like certain academics get popularized 
for random reasons and that's the way that it panned out. But it could have very easily have been another academic and not fucking Foucault or some shit. It could have been someone else who had a different philosophy and that could have been the trend. And the last part of the question was, did they capitalize on the multi-generation? Okay, so I was wondering if the banks had their own set of beachheads for initially creating the social justice movement or did they capitalize on the generational influence of Foucault and Derrida and bolster them in the modern culture of the humanities? Uh, for the purpose of manipulating the public on their newly formed moral foundation. So is he sort of posing the question, did the banks see that these academic ideas was were just going to push people to vote for parties that were more aligned with their, uh, uh, their desire for monopolizing the market no, and therefore no, no, no. they bolstered those no. academics Bank, that- banks are not that well thought out banks just go like here's a bunch of money represent my interests and then people would just be like okay and then they'd come up with a campaigning team and the campaigning team would just come up with like this the broad social trends and they'd be exploiting that banks wouldn't give a shit whatever the fuck the broad social trend at the time was they'd just be investing money into the candidates that gave them their interest if you if the the people that they would be influencing and this is definitely true would be the ones that are in business studies would be the ones in law would be the ones in economics and that would be by them putting in like uh, internships and stuff like that so they are looking for people who are indoctrinated into as jack lane used to say the cult of banks he used to call monetary theory the cult of banking. And it's the same thing. It's it's that same thing of just like, just with the, the sheer influence of banks and that's where the money's coming from and they're funding the scholarships and they want, uh, they're looking for a return on investment. They want them to be indoctrinated in a certain way of looking at finances okay. and looking at the economy. So maybe taking it just a broader look at some of the things you've said in answering this question, Coming back to your point that everyone is basically brainwashed, how do we know which brainwashing or which indoctrination is better than the other indoctrination then? How do we make a value judgment if we've all been brainwashed? I know, I know. That's the thing that scares the shit out of me. But I think that the main thing is, is like, I can just give you the the classic example because it's just always on my mind of liberal versus labor. Liberals say, you know, dick fucking fucked up the debt need to go you ask any economist they will say that debt has nothing to do with the health of a national economy um in fact if it does it's private debt not public debt um you know then then you look at like the actual rankings of the labor party and it was just like when the labor party was in australia was absolutely top of the oecd stats like best managed economy some of the highest jobs and growth wages uh, some of the lowest debt, even if you were going to include that. As soon as the Liberals go in, debt skyrockets, jobs and growth down to the very bottom of the developed world. These are all metrics that you can look at. It's all so it's evidence. N- that's not indoctrination then if you're looking at that. Well, like you could say that the other people that are coming up with that, the, the experts that are looking at those metrics are like have been indoctrinated in a certain way of looking at those metrics. But the, 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 the thing is that these things are like much more empirical yeah. than just saying like, you know, Dead. You know, it, it adds okay, more yeah. context to it. I think this is the whole thing. When somebody can paint a, a long picture with a lot of evidence, that person is, they, they will have their own biases. They will have like blind spots and things like that. But they clearly know what they're talking about more than somebody who just like repeats a jingo at you. 
Yeah. I think that that's the whole yeah. thing. It's just like a lot of the time brainwashing works in just like you've only heard that information. You've never heard a counter-argument to it yeah. and you just accept it as truth. And the thing is, this is what scares me all the time. In my field of work, it, it happens to me all the time. There's things that I just took for granted, then I look into it and then I'm just like, no, that's not true. But I'm going to leave that to another time because the things that I'll say about that will get me cancelled. <laughs> because they are just like deeply held societal truths and you look at it and you're just like, that's not accurate. What you know? Are they in the realm of politics? Or? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. All right. All right. Well, Fintan, thanks for the question. Uh, Neilcohacker.com slash podcast if you want us to answer a question. Uh, thank you for listening to that one. Thank you. That was, a, that was a journey and a half. Wasn't it? Yeah. Well, cheers, guys. We'll see you next time. See you, gang.